The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Open your Bibles too and um, follow along this morning. I'm going to read the text that I will be covering uh, in the sermon that I've titled, What Did the Death of Jesus Accomplish? What did the death of Jesus accomplish? It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him, for they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. The word of the Lord. In the garden, Eve said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would indeed be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The big idea for today's sermon is that Jesus accomplished infinitely more through his death by crucifixion than simply forgiveness for sins. That Jesus accomplished infinitely more through his death by crucifixion than forgiveness of sins. I do not practice a catch-and-release policy when it comes to mice. Unless you have a peanut allergy, a peanut butter sandwich is not lethal. But when you make that tiny little peanut butter sandwich and you cram it into the end of a Victor mouse-killing trap, the enticement is deadly. Regardless if it is the forbidden fruit of the tree, the deadness of external religious practices, or 30 pieces of silver 
when used as an enticement by the power of evil, destruction will follow. Neither the religious leaders nor Judas understood the soul-killing effects of the trap that had been set for them by the power of evil. But even as evil worked to destroy, the power of God worked to deliver through the ministry of Jesus, who is prophet, priest, and king. The movement from uh, the temple, where we have been uh, since chapter 11, uh, to the Mount of Olives, where we were last week, and then to the house of Simon the leper, sets the stage for the church to proclaim that the death of Jesus accomplished more than forgiveness of sins for the individual sinner. I emphasize the words individual sinner because Christians tend to limit the impact of the cross into that category. The church apostolic knew no such limitation as it proclaimed that through the crucifixion of Jesus, the power of evil was broken and the effects of sin and death were undone. And we need, as a church, as do many churches, especially in this region, we need to recapture this truth in our imagination and in the practicality of our work so that we live with confidence in the power of the gospel. And that through the power of the gospel, the power of evil is broken. For the power of the gospel is infinitely greater than the power of evil. In the very first part of chapter 14, we are told that the religious leaders intend to arrest Jesus and put him to death. This is uh, the first indication in this chapter of how deeply evil had embedded itself and infected the lives of the religious leaders. These men are experts in all matters of Jewish law. They have not only been taught, but they have taught others the sixth commandment, which says, you shall not murder. But somehow that commandment had not made any impact into their lives. But then as you look at the bottom of the passage in verse number 10 and 11, we see another way that evil is expressed as a power. It is when Judas goes to the chief priest in order to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, look at their response in verse 11. They were glad. They were glad when Judas agreed to betray Jesus. So at the beginning of the chapter, and these two chapters in particular that deal with the priestly work of Jesus, we have two examples of how evil as a power was working to deceive even those who had spent their lives studying the word of God. This should uh, cause the church to sit up and take notice. Have we considered lately that evil finds a way into even the most devout of religious people? These men are not finding gladness 
that one Jew is willing to sell out a fellow Jew for money because they've left Judaism. They are not backsliders from their faith. This evil action is being taken even as they practice their faith. And we need to wake up to that reality. When Mark tells us there at the beginning of chapter 14 that it is two days before Passover, it will help us understand how evil works powerfully even in the midst of light. You see, within Judaism, it isn't just the day of Passover that counts. It is what is to be done in preparation for Passover and what is to be done after the day Passover. What is to be done two days prior is that the entire house is to be cleansed from all leaven. This was what uh, God told Moses to tell the children of Israel just before they were delivered from their bondage uh, in Egypt on the very first Passover. That they were to cleanse themselves from all effects of leaven. They were to remove all leaven from their possession. This was to be done two days prior. The cleansing would have included a thorough search of the house. The scruples of the religious leaders in this matter were so exacting that, that they would use a lamp to make sure that there had been no leaven, uh, you know, maybe fallen off a crack or a piece of bread into the cracks and crevices of the floor or shoved away into the back of a cupboard or hidden away somewhere. I was just reading um, a Jewish site on this practice, and the question was raised, um, if I have a shed in my backyard, can I put all of my leaven in the shed, or is it considered part of my house? And if it is, then is it okay for me to rent a storage facility where I could put all of the leaven, or because I've rented it, is it still considered to be part of my possession? So exacting, even today, in many cases, is this practice. That was the scruples of the religious leaders. But if the same kind of determination would have been used to clean the cracks and crevices of their own hearts, they would never have been able to find gladness in the willingness of Judas to betray Jesus. They would have not been able to conspire to put Jesus to death and break the sixth commandment. So what other explanation could there be for their gladness except the presence of evil as a power that worked to ultimately deceive them and then ultimately to destroy them? If we let this sink in, we then will have a clear understanding of evil as a power and why we need Jesus to do more than simply forgive us of our sins. So in the, in the passage, we have a contrast then. In contrast to the dark hearts of the religious leaders in verses 1 and 2 and then in 10 and 11, we have hope filling the room of the house of Simon the leper as an unnamed woman breaks open an alabaster jar containing perfume 
which is very expensive. And when she breaks open this jar, she pours it out on Jesus. Now, the aroma uh, of this perfume would have filled the entire room. It would have affected everything in the room. We might even say it would have gone into the cracks and crevices of the room. The aroma of hope then is put into words as Jesus rebukes the disciples and explains what has just happened. Read with me. Look at verses 6 and 9, 6 through 9. Jesus says, uh, the disciples are, um, what's the word, scolding her. And Jesus says, why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body before for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And so it is here in the house of Simon the leper that Jesus gives the church a lesson for discipleship as he then reveals himself to be God's servant who is prophet priest and king the words of Jesus that he spoke to the disciples not only in defense of the woman but an explanation of the act of worship when put together with the fragrant aroma of the perfume should not be taken as an intellectual exercise but as an encounter with Jesus. This encounter with Jesus is both, you know, in uh, sight and in sound and in smell, the heart and the mind all coming together as the aroma fills the room. They have an encounter with Jesus who explains what has just happened. You have the words of Jesus saying, you will not always have me, hinting, at his ascension and exaltation as king. You have his death and resurrection spoken about. Our great high priest declares that the purpose of the anointing is for my burial. You have the ongoing prophetic work of Jesus shown to be continuing as the gospel, Jesus says, is proclaimed to the whole world. What this woman has done is going to be remembered. A testimony to the nations. I would say to us as a church, this should be a massive encouragement because Jesus overcame the power of evil and in doing so, his promise to the woman was kept. Do you have promises you're waiting for? Do you have things you're hoping for? Do you have things you're holding on to? Sins and things you're battling against and the power of evil that maybe has taken hold in your life in some way, you're looking to God to help break that. This should be of massive encouragement to the church to think that today we're still rehearsing the great act of God in Christ through this woman expressed in her extravagant gift as the ointment was poured out. We should note that in the room... Jesus is the only one who is able to overcome evil. And we might want to ask why. Why is Jesus able to overcome evil? And I would suggest it is because he is the only one willing 
to do battle on the terms that evil could not succeed against. Jesus is the only one who is willing to do battle against evil on the terms that evil could not succeed against. And those terms, I think, are best kind of compressed and understood in this, these two words, sacrificial love. Jesus is willing to pour out his life as a sacrifice of love. And so it is the power of love that works as a power infinitely greater and as a power that evil could never perceive. Evil is always after destruction. But when God's love is poured out, it is always poured out in restoration and in healing and in redemption. And evil couldn't see that. Evil was blinded to that. And so it is this love then that leads Jesus to a place of condemnation. It is this love that leads him to a place of darkness, a place of forsakenness, where he suffers on behalf of sinners. And it is through this act of love then we do find the forgiveness for our sins, but we also find victory over the power of evil. It is my prayer. It has been my prayer. It continues to be my prayer. That our church would be so filled with the Spirit that as we stand against the evil of our day, we will do so with the fragrant aroma of the self-sacrificing love of Jesus covering us. And as it were, everywhere we go, the smell of the fragrant aroma of the self-sacrificing love of Jesus is understood to be part of our lives, inescapable. This means that as we stand against the soul-destroying effects of the power of evil, we do so remembering first that we still could be casualties of evil. As the church takes a stand against racism, materialism, sexual perversion of our age, let us make sure that we are first shining the light of God's word into the cracks and crevices of our own lives so that we are free from the leavening effects of those sins. As we speak words of condemnation against the ideas of our age, against the philosophies of our age, especially this, this idea that seems to just be now accepted, that people have a right to change their own gender, let us speak against that evil with mercy as we remember that people are being deceived by a power far greater than they can even understand. And when the lives of the image bearers that are inside their mother's womb are not afforded the same protection as the image bearers who are outside of the womb, let the church speak against that monstrous evil. But let us do so with the kind of hope that filled this house, the house of a man who was at one time an outcast, Simon the what? Leper. And what did it mean to be a leper? You were outcast. You were sent away. 
You were untouchable. And yet in this house, there is Simon. There is this unnamed woman. And there is Jesus. And Jesus is teaching us a lesson in discipleship. And what it will take to overcome evil will be his self-sacrificing love. So I need to remind us that the serpent is still beguiling people. So I need to remind us that the power of evil is still destroying those that the serpent has beguiled. Let us then be bold to invite people into the victory of the cross. And as we invite them into that victory, let us tell them that yes, forgiveness for their sins is available. Justification for the sinner is found at the cross, but let's also tell them about all that the death of Jesus accomplished. And that is that the power of evil has been broken. For this is what the death of Jesus is accomplished. And then let us by faith, let us by faith live within that accomplishment. Because we too are promised victory in his name. Amen. Father, I pray that as we now come to this table, we would do so in the manner in which the Apostle Paul tells us, examining ourselves, looking at what is presented at this table, and allowing its meaning to plunge deeply into our lives lest we eat and drink judgment to ourselves. Father, I pray the power of your gospel that is going out into the whole world might be present in this room right now. And as it is present, may it do its great work of grace. We ask in your good name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.